This morning our scripture reading comes from Hebrews 4. You can find that on page 1866. We're going to read Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. And you'll notice that it starts with therefore. And we've all heard Chris say, whenever we see a therefore, we ask, what's the therefore, therefore? I'll let Chris cover that one. (laughs) (laughs) Hebrews 4, starting at 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. We'll get to the therefore in a minute. We're starting into a new series. It's, it's a short series, three Sundays long, looking at Jesus as the high priest. And we'll be picking up this theme as it comes up a number of times in the book of Hebrews. We're looking at, at this little snippet out of chapter 4 this week. We'll take a, a closer look at, at chapter 9 next week. And, and in that, the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament people of God comes into view. And in that context, we'll dig more into what is the high priest and and what was the high priest doing and what were these sacrifices. And then we'll look again at this idea of confidence that we're touching on this morning and coming before God with confidence because Jesus has interceded for us. He has made atonement for our sins. And so this theme will will shape us and form us as we move steadily closer through Lent towards Good Friday and Easter Sunday. This morning we're going to pay attention to this passage, but we'll spring around to a couple other things out of it. But I want to start first with a a story that, that has helped me understand this text way better. I was in seminary. And I had a pastoral care and counseling class. And our professor, Ron Nightum, gave us an assignment. I want you to write a family systems paper. Has anyone ever had to do that? A family systems paper is where you're supposed to analyze your own family. Now, many of us do this on our own anyways, without an assignment. We know how everybody's relationships work and don't work, and we know the cousins we don't want to interact with. He made us dig into our whole family structure. Both sides of the family, know your grandparents, your uncles and aunts, your cousins, write this paper. So I had a conversation with my dad, had another one with my mom, wrote up this nice paper, turned it in, got it back a week later, a big fat F on it with a note. Chris, come talk to me. 
Now, one, I don't like failing papers. <laughs> Two, I don't like professors telling me to come talk to them. <laughs> it's never a good sign. And three, especially when it's about your family. My first defensive response was, who does he think he is? I just told him about my family. How can you fail me on my knowledge of my family? Some of you may sympathize at that point. I walked in, I said, Chris, have a seat. Sit down, he says, before we start, I want to let you know, I was really good friends with your dad during college. And even though I shouldn't tell you, I served as your mom's parents' counselor in Denver, Colorado. So I know both sides of your family, and I know the stories. You didn't touch on them. You didn't get into the pain and the brokenness that's there. I want you to rewrite this, not from how good things are, and from what you like about your family. But I want you to rewrite the story touching on the brokenness that's in it and how those stories of brokenness have shaped you. And it's going to be hard, but you need to do it. Because you can't be a pastor unless you know your own suffering and your own pain. It took me a week and a half to rewrite it. It took some hard conversations with my parents asking them questions I had never asked them. I had an uncle who had been a pastor and who left the ministry, left his family, entered into a homosexual relationship, died of AIDS in 1993, way before you talked about AIDS. And that sat in our family had another uncle who simply just disconnected and didn't talk to anybody and had all sorts of mental health crises that were hidden and pushed to the sidelines and we didn't talk about his depression. We didn't talk about the anxiety. It was, it was known but nobody named it. And we sat and we went through the layers of brokenness that had impacted my parents and then I had to start owning up to my own, my own stuff. This text presents to us Jesus Christ as the high priest. And I want to give us one glimpse of the high priest and, and how that high priestly role had so often separated the priest from the people. It, it comes in, in Leviticus, a book we often don't read a whole lot from. This is Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron and his sons have just been ordained. Aaron's the newly minted high priest and, and he's got all the clothes and robes on and he's got the oil still, the oil of ordination is still on him. And his sons start to do their ministry but they decide to do it in their own way and immediately break the law of God. And, and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense. In other words, they wanted to spice things up. They wanted to make it a little more pizzazz and a little more, more special than what 
the commands of God had told them to do. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. In other words, God had taken these people and said, I'm going to set you apart from the rest of the body. You are going to be separate from them. And you are going to be different and held to a different standard. And, and you will have to live holy before me in ways that other people aren't going to do. I'm going to demand more of you. And if you screw up, I'm going to hold you publicly accountable. His sons died. Aaron remained silent. Moses summoned Mishael and Elsaphan, sons of Aaron's uncle Uziel, and said to them, Come here, carry your cousins outside the camp, away from the front of the sanctuary. So they came and carried them, still in their tunics, still in all their priestly garb, carried them out from the center of the camp, outside of it, outside the camp, as Moses ordered. Then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Eliezer and Ithamar, Do not let your hair become unkempt and do not tear your clothes or you will die and the Lord will be angry with the whole community but your relatives, all the Israelites, may mourn for those the Lord has destroyed by fire. Do not leave the entrance to the tent of meeting or you will die because the Lord's anointing oil is on you. So they did as Moses said. Can you imagine you are standing there and you watch your son die. Two of your sons die. And you are told, don't mourn. Don't grieve. This is you. You are to be the representative of God's holiness to everybody else. And because his holiness was exercised, even against your children, you are not to grieve. In fact, this he said, I want you to stand there, back, away from all the people. I want you to be removed and separate from them. Keep yourself kempt, well-groomed, no mourning. Go about the business of being the priest, interceding for God's people. You read the rest of the chapter and they still go about doing the offerings. He's watched his son die and he turns around and starts accepting people's sin offerings. I imagine he had to be thinking, how am I supposed to make it through this? How do I do this? I have to be separate. I have to be somber and solemn. Do you feel the distance? What a contrast then, isn't it? That in this text it talks about Jesus as the high priest who's come near to us. Jesus as the high priest who is familiar with all of our suffering. This is where the story of Jesus' life becomes so important. Do you remember that passage in John? John has that wonderful start to his gospel where he talks about the word who was God and was with God in the beginning. And then he says, the word became flesh 
and dwelled among us, or, or as Eugene Peterson, moved into our neighborhood. He, he got into our stories. The Greeks said there, there he, he tented with us. He tabernacled with us. He entered into the center of our suffering, the place where we've experienced the most brokenness and emptiness, the place where our sins are on full display, the tabernacle. He entered into the suffering and grieving. He entered there. If we go to the story of Jesus' life and, and we pay attention to that whole story, it wasn't just entering in. You, you see his priestly role in all sorts of places. He, he has this baptism story. Anybody remember that story of Jesus coming to be baptized? I mean, Jesus comes to be baptized and, and John sees him and says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. I'm not worthy to, to touch the, the, the shoelaces on your dirty, mucky shoes. I can't even go there. Don't, don't have me baptize you. You baptize me. And Jesus says, no. I'm going to go through this baptism, this ordination process. I'm going to be baptized. And he humbles himself. And in humbling himself, the first thing I would expect of, Jesus has now been commissioned for this ministry. He's going to go out and start the ministry. What does he do? First thing is, he goes into a desert. And he's tempted. Forty days and forty nights of fasting. And he's tempted. Do you hear that? Do you hear that high priestly role entering in? Jesus becoming familiar with our suffering, with our story. To be human, to, to be tempted by all sorts of sins. All sorts of things to reject God, that temptation to run from God, to get as far away from that holiness of God as you can. Do you notice where he went? Out into the wilderness outside the camp where were Aaron's sons brought outside the camp out into the desert out into the, the place that's far from God's presence Jesus his first act of ministry his first act of, of coming alongside us is not to do some powerful sign of, I've got everything under my control. His first thing is to enter into the wilderness of our lives. To go to the place where death is. To go to that place that, that in the world understanding of God and his people in the tabernacle is as far from God's presence as you can get. It's a no man's land. And Jesus goes there. He enters into our story, into our brokenness. Sean pointed out the therefore. The therefore goes to another therefore, which goes to another therefore, which goes to another therefore, which goes to a since and a therefore, and you trace this back and you're all the way back in the chapter 2. And I want to read the end of chapter 2 for you. Hebrews chapter 2 starts at verse 14. 
And, and this, again, is jumping into the middle of the story, so you're still not quite to the therefore. If you want to get to all the therefores, you've got to start at the beginning of Hebrews and read the whole way through. But this one gives us a clue as to what chapter 4 is pointing to. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, since we, God's children, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him, being the devil, who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus entered into our suffering the same way we experience suffering and temptation. He entered into our story as fully as any one person can. He took on that suffering as his own and he says, your story is going to be my story, your temptations, my temptations, your struggles and suffering, my struggles and suffering. So that when I kick the devil's butt, that's my translation of the passage. When I go after the devil and I defeat the devil and the death he holds over you, I will be able to truly set you free because I've been there. I've been in the wilderness with you. You notice this passage said, we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven. Now I know this liturgically calendar is way out of order because Ascension Day doesn't happen until after Easter. But it's important for us to know in Lent that Jesus has ascended already. Romans 8, chapter 34 talks about the ascended Jesus and what he is doing right now. It says, who, who is there that condemns us? Who brings a charge against God's people? Who is it that condemns? No one. But Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, is interceding for us. Jesus the one who suffered for us, who was in the wilderness with us, the one who took on our suffering as his own, the one who died the death we are experiencing, is now ascended and sitting right next to God the Father. And he knows our story. Just like Ron knew my family. Ron knew my dad and my dad's brokenness and my dad's stories. He knew my grandparents and, and my mom's family history. He knew me better than I knew myself at that point. And Ron sat me down and talked to me and, and walked with me and encouraged me. He said, I know your story. Let me help you enter into it. And Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of God, our Father, is sitting there saying to God the Father, I know him. I know her. I was with her 
in the desert. I was with him in that wilderness. I was there. That's my story too, Dad. Daddy, have mercy upon them. Forgive them. Hold on to them. Rescue them. Save them. Bring them out of the wilderness back into your presence. Jesus, who was with us, is now with the Father interceding for us. Jesus, the high priest, who knows our suffering, is continuing to make our suffering known to the Father and pleading on our behalf for our salvation. Chapter 5, right after this. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And was designated by God to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus our high priest is able to deal gently with us because he has suffered with us. He has entered into our brokenness. In a moment, we're going to taste the bread and the cup and be reminded in a, a very tangible, physical way that God indeed in Jesus Christ has entered into our brokenness is in familiar with all of our suffering and he invites us to come to this table to receive the grace we desperately need maybe your brokenness today is one of anxiety and fear what's tomorrow hold am I gonna be able to hold it all together Am I going to be prepared for what's coming? And we don't know how to live into that anxiety and fear of what is yet to come. Maybe for some of us, it's a sin that we have been anchored in for so long we feel like we are at the bottom of the sea drowning in our own sin. We can't get away from it. And we have cried out again and again, God, help me, forgive me, release me, set me free. And we feel trapped and stuck. 
maybe for some of us, it's just a sense of hopelessness. I've been going through these routines for years and years and there seems to be no life left in it. Maybe we've experienced the injustice of someone else sinning against us and it still rocks us 20 or 30 years later. We all, myself included, have brokenness that Jesus is desiring to enter into with us in this meal and say, I've got you. I'm holding on to you. I'm at work making you new. I'm at work making all things new. I'm at work bringing you from the wilderness back into God's presence where you will be made whole and holy by what I've done through my death and my resurrection. This is God's grace. The high priest, Jesus Christ, who suffered and died, who rose and is ascended, who is interceding for us even now, invites us to come. Not with everything polished and put together so that our families and we look good, but with the full story of our brokenness, just as we are. Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy upon us. Find us in our sin. Seek us in the wilderness spaces of our lives. Come grab hold of us and pick us up and carry us back into the Father's presence. So we're dying without him. We're dying in our separation from you. Come, rescue us, draw us back. Deal gently with us. Untangle us from the sins that wrap up around our hearts and our minds and our bodies. Set us free. Heal our wounds, wounds that are so deep and so full of infection. Lord, heal us. Remove the bitterness and the anger hopelessness, fear, the worries. Make our souls and our hearts and our minds and our bodies whole once again. Make us holy as our high priest who has suffered in our place. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand and we're going to sing together just as I am without one plea.